Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire.News podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that can't stop, won't stop. I'm Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo. Rewire.News is dedicated to bringing you the best reproductive rights and social justice news, commentary, and analysis on the web, and the Team Legal Podcast is part of that mission. So a big thank you to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. As a nonprofit, Rewire.News relies on your donations to fund Boom Lawyered and all of our evidence-based journalism. So if you like our show and you want to hear more of it, please donate online. You can support us at Rewire.News slash donation. That's Rewire.News slash donation. So, Jessica... During the upfront just now, you introduced yourself as Jess Piclo, but that's not your full name, right? Your name is Jessica Mason Piclo. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's right. My friends call me Jess. I go by Jess. But um, why are you asking? (laughs) Well, because it has to do with some of the voter suppression stuff we're going to talk about today. Your name is a perfect example of the ways that the GOP is trying to disenfranchise voters who don't have simple names like Imani Gandhi. (laughs) So your birth certificate probably reads Jessica Mason, right? Or maybe you have a middle name. I don't know. I don't have one. My name is just straight up Imani Gandhi. Maybe you have a middle name. So like maybe your birth certificate reads Jessica Bader Mason or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And before you got married, you were either Jessica Mason or Jess Mason, or maybe you were Jess Bader Mason or Jessica B. Mason. (laughs) This is great. And then and then you got married, and now you're either Jessica Mason Piclo, because your husband's last name is Piclo, or Jess Mason Piclo, or Jess M. Piclo, or Jessica M. Piclo. You could write any of those names down, and any sentient being with two brain cells to rub together would understand that each of those names refer to you. And I do. Like, I go by Jess Piclo. I go by Jessica Mason Piclo. When I sign my name, I sign a Jessica M. Piclo. Like, there's variations on the theme, right? Right. But Republicans in states across the country have been using these name check protocols in order to purge voters. For In Georgia, for example, it's called the exact match protocol. So if the name that you write down on your voter registration card doesn't match exactly the na- the information or name that they have on file with either the Georgia Department of Driver Services, which is basically Georgia's DMV, or the Social Security Administration, then your registration form is placed in a pending pile. So let me repeat that. If your name... Yeah. So if you read your name, if you write Jess Piclo on your voter Uh registration card, and at the DMV, when you went to get your driver's license, you wrote Jessica Mason Piclo, Uh those two names don't match. That's bananas. Right. And so what the Georgia Secretary of State will do is place your voter registration card in a pending pile, which means you're not which means it's going to be a big pain in the ass for you. And you'll have to do extra things in order to make sure that your vote has been counted. They would at least let me know that I was that my, that registration was put in the pending pile, though. Right. Oh, like, no. Oh, no, 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 no. They would do Get no out of such here. Thing. This is the no. They just put it in a pending pile, and of course, would it surprise you to know that most of the the voters that have been placed in a pending pile are black and brown voters? Oh, get out of here. Not a chance. It is shocking. I, I for one, am shocked. But yeah, as of uh, a report from the Associated Press found that more than 53,000 voter registration cards have been designated pending as a result of these 
really minor mismatches in information in that that the person gave when they gave their name. Like even if you missed a hyphen, if your name was Mason hyphen Piclo and you didn't put the hyphen in, your voter registration card would be designated pending. Good grief. This is this is a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. And that's just one of the voter suppression efforts we're going to talk about today. We're also going to talk about how the Supreme Court of the United States essentially sanctioned stripping 2,300 or so Native Americans in North Dakota of their right to vote. But Native American folks have kept fighting and actually may just win. And then finally, we're going to talk about purged voters in Ohio who were granted a reprieve by the Sixth Circuit yesterday and will be permitted to vote in some circumstances. So stay tuned. So in the upfront, we talked about the ways in which Georgia voters are being screwed. And obviously, it's going to come as no surprise that it's not white voters who are being screwed, but it's black and brown voters. No, really, I have my best shocked face on right now. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But before With we get into that... With an extra bold lip, even. <laughs> <laughs> Would you call it a bee-stung lip? <laughs> <laughs> but let's back up for a minute. Okay, so Brian Kemp. Brian Who's Kemp this? is running for governor against Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams could potentially be not only the first black female governor of Georgia, but the first black woman governor of any state in the country. And if Brian Kemp loses, he'll be the first Republican to lose since 1998. So there are a lot, there's a lot at stake here in this, in this race. One of the things that's kind of fucked up to begin with is the fact that Brian Kemp is not only running as governor, but he's also secretary of state of Georgia. So that means he's overseeing the election that he's running in. That is just so messed up. However, though, this is like par for the course with some of these Republicans, right? Our buddy Chris Kobach is doing the same thing out in Kansas, like working to disenfranchise a bunch of folks as secretary of state while also running for governor of that state. It seems to me that that should be a clear conflict of interest and you should be forced to like turn over your secretary of state duties to your deputy or to somebody else. It just... That just seems rational to me. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a total mess. But this isn't about Kansas, is it? This is about Georgia. This is about Georgia. And it's about Georgia's exact match program, which is preposterously flawed. Now, there's some good news and there's some bad news. I'm going to tell you the good news first. Oh, good. Um, There are 53,000 voter registration uh, cards that were designated pending. Uh huh. So and that's that pile that we talked about in the in the upfront, right? Like, right. I don't, I didn't pe- have that hyphen. And so they threw my voter registration in some pile of paper somewhere. Exactly. And due to all of the pressure that uh, organizations like Black Voters Matter, and a lot of grassroots organizations, Kemp has basically finally been forced to say that, you know, even if your registration is designated pending, All you have to do is show up with the proper ID at the polls and, you know, the poll worker will look at your ID and you'll be able to vote. I mean, the voter ID laws in and of themselves are oppressive, but we're not we're not talking about that today. We're just talking about the fact that Kemp was sort of forced into this position whereby if you're if you're designated pending, just show your ID. But that doesn't help people who are having their citizenship questioned. Right. No. there's a big kerfuffle going around about immigration at pretty much all levels, like <laughs> all across the board, like whether it comes to the migrant caravan or whether it comes to, you know, detention policy, immigrants are under siege and their voting rights are also under siege because 
For example, if you are newly naturalized, that new newly naturalized status probably or at least may not show up in the Georgia DMV or the Georgia Social Security Administration databases, which are used to match the name on the voter registration card and the and the uh, the file, whatever information you have on the, in the database. So if you're newly naturalized, that information might not yet show up. And so you're going to be forced to show proof of your citizenship. And so then that becomes a problem because people are being incorrectly flagged as non-citizens. And even if they produce their citizenship proof when they registered to vote, that doesn't matter because they've been designated as pending. This is just, I mean, like we know Republicans are trying to cheat to win, right? But this, all of this exact match stuff is just so bananas, not only because of some of the obvious targeting, but from a like bureaucratic, institutional inertia standpoint, it takes a while for government agencies to update their records. Like, I mean, this is, you know, our states aren't necessarily using all of the most up-to-date technologies and processes available because they've often been not funded. I mean, you know, there's like this whole long litany of causation here in terms of of what this is, but then to, you know, sort of manipulate or manipulate, to manipulate. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the manipulization. Of <laughs> I'm going to start writing for Trump if that's the case. Uh, to manipulate. To, that was more of a George Bushism, but I digress. To manipulate or to sort of weaponize, you know, bureaucratic inefficiencies against voters is evil. It is evil. And what's even more evil is. First of all, given the the Trump administration's attack on immigrants and attack on citizens, right? I mean, we just did an episode about how they're mm-hmm. trying to strip birthright citizenship from people. So even immigrants who are citizens and are naturalized citizens aren't necessarily safe. They're still at risk for deportation. They're certainly yeah. still at risk for targeting if they're, you know part of the disfavored, quote unquote, disfavored population, mm-hmm. i.e. they're going after Latinx people. They're not going after, you know, Swedes and Nordic people who are trying to immigrate yeah. to this country. So, But setting that aside, setting aside the fact that it's actual voter intimidation to enforce these sort of prove your citizenship rules, given mm-hmm. the fact that even if you are a citizen, it might not matter. The, bureau- the bureaucratic inefficiency goes way deeper than that. So if you are a citizen and you are required to show proof of citizenship at on election day to the poll worker, you can't even show it to a poll worker. You actually what? have to show it to someone called a deputy registrar. And but the deputy registrars are not present at all of the polling places. So you could you can actually go to a polling place, bring your proof of citizenship. The poll worker will say, oh, I'm not really qualified to look at this and say, yeah, this is right or yeah, this is wrong. You need to go find Bob, the deputy registrar. But Bob, the deputy registrar is three counties over. So you go over there, show him your proof of citizenship. Then you can come back here and vote. That's what they expect people to do. These are the hoops they want people to jump through. This is a nightmare. And it also sounds like this exact match stuff is a nightmare for trans voters, too. I mean, if you are mid-transition and all of mm-hmm. your documentation isn't um, in line, like, what do you, I mean, they're just, this is fraught, Amani. This is fraught. It, it really is. And earlier in the episode, when we talked about those 53,000 pending registrations, it turns out that something like 70% of those pending registrations are from black people. How can that be? Well, this is, well, this is actually really interesting. So 
black people are less likely to have driver's licenses, right? So in order mm-hmm. to even be put into this exact match system, there has to be some discrepancy from your dri- from the information that you have and the information that the state has. If the information that the state has doesn't match, then you need to put your last four digits of your social security number in a database. And it's that process that leads to mismatches because... If you have a driver's license, whatever you wrote on your driver's license is likely to be the same as what you wrote on your voter registration card. So you're not even going to be trapped in the system in the first place. Right. But -hmm. black people due to structural racism, due to, uh, you know, segregation, white flight, et cetera, poverty, black folks are less likely to have driver's licenses. So they're more likely to be in the pool of people who are at risk for these mismatches in the first place. Mind seriously like it's i mean it's almost impressive the lengths that georgia is going to disenfranchise people and to make it seem as if they're doing something to prevent voter fraud when we all know that voter fraud does not exist in any measurable way so can people vote though i mean like so what if you went through all of those hoops what if you had you know you you were the person who had your proof of citizenship, go, went and met Bob three counties over, and he said, all right, sounds good to me. And you got yourself back to the county and the polling place that you can vote in. Like, can you still actually vote or not? Like, what happens? Yeah, I mean, technically, you are supposed to be able to vote. But like, just that litany of shit you just read, people are going to drop off at any point in that process. Right. I mean, it's not supposed to be this difficult to cast a ballot. So that's Georgia's exact match program. And it is fatally flawed and completely fucked up. But they also have another policy that is equally fatally flawed and equally fucked up, and that is their signature matching process. Georgia, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is what is happening? So let me talk to you about what the signature matching thing is, right? So you fill out your absentee ballot. Uh-huh. You sign your name. Uh-huh. They take your absentee ballot and they match that they try to match the signature to whatever signature that they have on file. If your signature is different in any way, they're going to reject, they're going to reject the ballot. Outright reject it. Not even going to tell you, but they're just going to reject it. Now, if you think about it, this policy is super xenophobic because a lot of Asian American folks who don't speak English as their first language and who don't have Western uh, script in the way that they write their Mm -hmm. names necessarily are going to sign their names in a variety of different ways. And if it mismatches, then their ballot is not going to be counted. Um, what about people who are elderly, right? Like my, my Mm -hmm. mom, who's now 73, signs her name a little bit differently than she did when she was 22. It disenfranchises elderly people. Uh, what about people who have, um, disabilities, you know, Mm -hmm. people who have neurological disorders, people who have Parkinson, perhaps who can't hold their hand, uh, keep their hand from shaking when they're right. The policy is ableist. It's xenophobic. Mm -hmm. It's just really terrible. And what, here's the icing on the cake. What? The people who are actually charged with analyzing the, the signatures, like, uh-huh. does this signature match this signature? Are they trained handwriting analysis? I'm analysis? Go with that's not a word. Analysis. Analysis? <laughs> I'm going with no. Survey says no. no. They're, ju- they're just regular <laughs> ass people who have no training whatsoever in handwriting analysis and have no, they have no business, no authority to be looking at a ballot and looking at a voter registration card and deciding these aren't the same. So I'm just going to toss them. 
I mean, this is like as you were going through the signature match. I mean, it was like the the name match was one thing, and but the signature match, like I'm thinking about this as like you know a like crunchy white lady out here in Colorado, and I guarantee you that my signature does not match every single time. I don't even like the signature on my driver's license, for example. If I were to sign my name now, like. Would that pass this signature match? I highly doubt it. I'm just sloppy and I, you know, and fast. And if that was, if that is what my right to vote rested on, yeah. I am almost 100% certain I would be disenfranchised. And yeah. like, that's just, this is, Georgia, get your act together, please. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, and I'm not a crunchy white lady from Colorado, and I can also <laughs> tell you that my signatures vary wildly. I used to practice my signatures when I was in law school because I knew at some yep. point I'm going to get to sign legal briefs, and I want to make sure I have a really super sweet signature. Exactly. So my signatures <laughs> totally, I all, did the same thing. <laughs> I think all lawyers do. <laughs> but my signatures are all over the place, and now that I don't practice, it's just basically gibberish. So, yep. I mean, the fact that Georgia is is conditioning people's right to vote on whether or not they use the appropriate apostrophe or hyphen in their name or whether or not their signatures match exactly now what they did when they filled out their voter registration card based on the untrained analysis of regular ass people. Mm -hmm. It's appalling. And all of this enforcement to keep a black woman out of office. Really? I mean, that's what it boils down to. They are <laughs> like, they, they, really? they are afraid of Stacey Abrams. But the, the one thing that I think that Stacey Abrams does have going for her is that in her campaign uh, process, she built in voter suppression. Like she mm-hmm. and that's sad, actually. Right. Oh, like man. If what you're a commentary office, that is. And you have to actually carve out like a bunch of people who would vote for you, but are not going to be able to. So you have to campaign even harder. That's a real That just makes a mockery of our entire voting rights system. Everybody out there on the ground in Georgia who are working their tails off to get people registered and to get them to the polls and voting and have their votes counted, I appreciate you. Thank you for that work because these are, this is, this is some stuff that you're up against and that's just one state. Yeah, honestly. And uh, for those of you who are interested in learning more about what's going on on the ground, I would suggest that you follow on Twitter, Latasha Brown and Black Voters, Black Voters Matter, and um, yeah, I think I think that's and really Anoa. important. Anoa oh yes, too. and Anoa, Anoa Changa, go with the the way with Anoa. Follow her; she's all over this stuff, and I think it's really important. I wish it was only one state, but like it's not, right? Oh We've got- no, it's not. We're gonna talk about North Dakota now, and my God. So North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp won Mm -hmm. a very, very close election in 2012, and it sent Republicans into a fury. I mean, if I remember correctly, they were like trying to get her. They were trying to beat her, right? Republicans wanted her law to lose. They wanted one of their own to lose because they don't like her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so Heidi Heitkamp won um, with the help of the Native community in North Dakota. She won by something like approximately 3,000 votes. Whoa. And this is important because... In North Dakota, the Indian folks who live on reservations don't have residential addresses, and that's not through any fault of their own. Mm -hmm. There is a coordinator in North Dakota that is supposed to make sure that people on reservations have residential addresses and that those addresses actually match the map, like Uh where where your house is on Google Maps, and that that address also matches 
information in state databases. Okay. Now, would it surprise you? To, would it surprise you if I told you that the entire system is so screwed up that there are people living on reservations who have multiple addresses who, in fact, live on multiple streets? That would surprise me not at all. Not at all, because bureaucracy is a pain in the ass. And it's just inherently messy and sloppy and and takes forever to get cleaned up. Like, that's just, you know, and one and I'm I'm assuming this is like one person in, you know, um, one office, like, you know, getting paid okay money to do this thing. Like, you know, on the day to day, they're probably not super motivated to be like, my database is a thousand percent up to date. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, what happened after Heidi Heitkamp won is that Republicans passed a law that said that um, that required photo ID was a voter ID law. But in order to actually vote, your ID has to have your current residential address on it. And as I said, there are a lot of native folks who don't have IDs at all, Uh much less an ID that has their current residential address because... As I said before, the bureaucracy has got it so screwed up that they don't yeah. even know where people don't know where to reach them. A lot of them use P.O. boxes because of this uh-huh. very problem, because North Dakota has been so screwy in giving them addresses. They want to make sure they can get their mail. They use P.O. box, P.O. P.O. boxes. And so uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the Spirit Lake tribe, they filed a lawsuit. They filed a lawsuit challenging this law on its face, which basically means Applied across the board, this law is unconstitutional. It is unconstitutional to require ID with the current residential address. That's kind of like the block it out of the gates, right? Like, right. no matter what, this is unconstitutional. There's no way to save it. So screw it and block it. <laughs> right. So the federal district court says this rule sucks. Get it out of here. Eighth Circuit ruled, no, it doesn't suck so bad. We're going to let it stand. And then the Supreme Court let that ruling stand. Uh... So as it stands now... So as it stands now, if you don't have your current residential address on your ID, you are not able to vote. And that essentially stripped immediately about 23 to 2400 Native Americans who don't have their current residential address on their on their ID of their right to vote. They just wouldn't be able to vote. They wouldn't ever be able to vote. Weird. It's kind of like the amount that Heidi Heitkamp won her last right? election efforts by. That funny how that works out. It's real, real targeted. Weird. So real, weird. real targeted. But fortunately, when the Eighth Circuit ruled that this law was not facially unconstitutional, meaning not unconstitutional across the board, it specifically left the door open for voters to sue if they were specifically burdened by the law. And so what that means is they left the door open for voters to bring an as-applied challenge. So that means this law, as applied to this section of voters, is unconstitutional and something needs to be done about it. Mm -hmm. So guess what Native American voters did? I hope they started suing. They sure did. They sued yesterday. They filed a lawsuit yesterday. Get them. And, you know, I mean, the lawsuit basically says, look... We've been trying to get all of our folks IDs. You know, the Spirit Lake tribe has been handing out IDs on their own dime uh-huh. with absolutely no help from North Dakota. Surprise, surprise. Um, and they've gone back to court saying we've done our level best and we still cannot get residential addresses for all of these people. And we still can't get all of our people um, ID cards uh-huh. that have those residential addresses. Mm-hmm. So... As applied to us, this law is unconstitutional and you need to put in some mechanisms that will allow this 23 to 2400 
um, Native American group of people to actually vote because otherwise you're just disenfranchising them. That, good. I'm glad that they're doing that. And it sounds like a strong case and hopefully we get an answer from the federal courts in the next day or two before the midterms um, and that it is a good answer. And, you know, this as applied and facial challenge is important because while I think this is a wonderful thing that advocates are helping individuals sue, the burden should not be on individual voters to enforce their right to vote through the courthouse. Um, and so this is a good thing that people are 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 able to still do this uh, with the um, as applied challenges. But like this is where we're at, you know, like we are we are right. at the point where when it comes to certain um, rights, like the right to vote and, and this facial and as applied challenge comes up in the abortion rights context, too. We're seeing that that yep. that come up there where we're literally the law is literally requiring the people most burdened and most affected by it to beg for their rights to a federal judge individually. And this is just, this is not, this is a dark place. This is the upside down. We do not want to be here as a country. So that's what's going on in North Dakota. They filed an emergency TRO. I think it will be granted. I read the papers, but we're just going to have to wait and see. So let's move on and talk about Ohio. Yes. Tell us about Ohio. So Ohio is a really great example of one of those um, times where litigation around uh, voting rights and voting access uh, will continue on past one election and into two or three. So recently, so just this week, we got a new ruling from the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's a federal court of appeals um, that hears cases from um, Ohio and Michigan and Kentucky, a couple other places. Um, They... Uh, ruled in a case that we've covered on the show before um, uh, in January about Ohio's voter purges. And so for listeners who maybe didn't uh, catch the January episode when we went through um, voter purges in Ohio, what Ohio was doing was basically under the guise of, quote unquote, air like scare quotes, cleaning up its voter rolls was effectively just purging folks off the off the rolls if they hadn't responded to what was like a, you know, sort of a uh, form um, postcard mailer that said, hey, we noticed you didn't vote in the last election. Are you still in town? Um, and I mean, you know, I would have probably tossed that and been like, who cares? You know what? Like my right to vote also means my right not to vote. Get off my back. Um <laughs> Right. So so that's what they were doing. But it turns out you're really not supposed to do that. And um, there is a federal law in place, the National Motor Voter Law, we refer to it, that is supposed to make it easier um, to both register to vote and stay registered to vote. And Ohio had been screwing around with this um, before the 2016 elections. So, you know, um, way back when, um, in the days when we still had like a... (laughs) When we had hope. We had hope. Like, that was lifetimes shit. ago. Seriously. Oh, I remember hope. Oh, I remember. Ugh, anyway, yeah. Hope used to feel good. But so so that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And, you know, surprise, surprise, the Supreme Court said, well, you know, I mean, what you're doing is kind of shady, but we think it's probably okay and blessed it. And then, great, right? So Ohio keeps doing this. But very much like the uh, North Dakota case, uh, voters who were affected said, well, hold on. We were disenfranchised. We were we were improperly purged from the rolls. And so you need to let our vote count. And they continued this litigation well past 2016, past the Supreme Court's decision that the as applied challenge or I'm sorry, the facial challenge um, was no good. 
um, continued this through. And now the Sixth Circuit says, well, look, you guys were um, disenfranchised. You were kicked off the rolls. You get to be back on the rolls in time to vote next week. And so that's a big victory. Like it's, you know, it took years and years and years and a and a trip up to the Supreme Court um, and come back down. And again, you know, individual voters shouldn't be throwing themselves on the halls of justice begging for their fundamental rights. But here we are. Um, And at least those folks in Ohio get to vote. And it could make a huge difference. You know, these are all really super close races. These states are toss ups and a lot is is on the line, which I think is why Republicans are working so hard to keep people out of the polls. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap up our show for today. Um, I'm really you know? proud that we ended up on some high notes. Like, things yeah, are bad, but we... <laughs> We really did. And if you would like to continue to talk to us about this stuff on the Twitter machine, you can follow me at Angry Black Lady. You can follow Jess at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. And you should please join our Facebook group, Boom Lawyer. Check it out. Answer the yes, question. We do. will let you in. But you got to answer the question. Why don't you want to answer, answer the, the question? question? People don't want to answer <laughs> the question. This is a goddamn question. All right. That's, that's going to be it for us, folks. And we will see you on the tubes. See you on the tubes, folks. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piccolo and Imani Gandhi. Our producer is Nora Hurley. This episode was produced by Mark Folletti, who is also our executive producer. And the Rewire.news editor in chief is Jody Jacobson. <laughs>